Just a reminder, in case there are those, that, in case there are new people who have not been here before, uh, we part of our practice of dana is to help put the chairs back in piles, as you may see some of them against the wall when we're finished tonight. So any help with the repiling of the chairs, um, much appreciated. So I have a title for tonight's talk, and hopefully I will somehow get to the point at some point. But the the title is Taking a Knee with our Sangha. And of course, most of you probably know of the, the, what I consider a most um, gentle and elegant gesture of of, um, protest against injustice, the unjust, uh, unequal distribution of justice that has just been uh, endemic in our culture toward uh, people of color, uh, especially the African-American community uh, over, you know, since the beginning. And a famous football player decided during the national anthem that they would, at first they just said, I'll just sit for the national anthem. Then someone actually may have recommended that they just take a knee. Uh, just to say, listen, this is, uh, I, I have this platform. I want, I want people to wake up to the fact that there is this terrible uh, injustice that is invisible to many, but is very visible to uh, people of color every day of their lives, and that uh, this happens in this country, and it's very much institutionalized, built into our system. So after that, of course, this beautiful, elegant gesture of taking a knee was then uh, co-opted by, because it occurred during the national anthem, it was, it was co-opted by the, um, the view that this was a, an unpatriotic act, and then it became conflated with anti-American, et cetera, et cetera, and the, the original heart, heart point statement of caring was uh, basically lost. And it all became about whether it's okay to, to, put, to kneel at the national anthem. So it is, a, um, it, is, it is necessary because of our tendency in this world to conflate, um, or our tendency to be somewhat asleep about the different kinds of injustice in this world. Uh, city, in this country, in this world, uh, it is, seems necessary from time to time or every day and in our own way to take a knee and to say out loud that this is not okay. And the reason I was a little bit concerned tonight about how I would get to this vital point of, of our care for justice 
and our and the um, and the desire on the part of the board of of Mission Dharma and me, the desire to have our sangha take a knee, have our sangha be associate ourselves very um, explicitly with social justice and care for this planet, care for things that that naturally flow from an open heart, that not have it be a political statement that goes that that becomes part of a polarization of views, but as an active expression of our goodwill and our caring. And that was the, the general aim to to uh, speak of this tonight. In fact, later on in the in the short, hopefully short discourse that I give, I will read a statement that the board of Mission Dharma put together, several people on the board, and I, I actually, would, it, would the people who participated in this creation of this statement, would you stand up and so that I'd be willing to stand up and say I, I helped with this? Okay, these are board members. I know our, our room, our group is so small tonight, it feels like this is, really gives the true meaning of the word secret teachings. It's, we're, we're, it's quiet tonight, but still we have some board members here who, who put a lot of heart and a lot of time into creating a statement that we hope people will really take to heart, share with others, offer input about things that we could do to either refine it, add to it, or uh, Make, turn it into some kind of action. It was beautiful, David, offering all those different ways of, of expressing our caring tonight. But as I was sitting tonight, I was, I was thinking about a, how this is really relevant to the basic practice that we're doing here on Tuesday nights and how it's relevant to the, to the life and the... And the the history of the of the Buddha's teachings, as I often mention on, often have mentioned on Tuesday night, the first act that the Buddha did upon uh, deciding to form a sangha and spread the Dharma. That's the, that's essentially the process that he engaged in after his awakening, in his formation of the sangha his first act was an act of social justice. His first act was to say that uh, we, I acknowledge that we have, a, we have created in this world, and this is India of the 2,500 years ago, we've created this consensual, conceptual view of reality where there is a hierarchy of class, status, etc. This has been a consensual view that there are those who could be called untouchable and there are those who are called Brahmins. There are those in between. There are different classes. And this was so deeply stratified, such a consensual reality, that people thought this is how it's supposed to be. He said, no. My Sangha will not have a class system. Everyone will wear the same robes. Anybody who walks through this door is equal. So that was an, it was an act of, 
of, um, it was a taking a knee, it was a declaration of, of, of a movement towards social justice. So it's inherent in the teachings. And inherent in the teachings, both from the, in the simplest way and in the most profound teachings, is the understanding that we have within us as we are separate individuals. We, and as, our, as a separate individual, one of our deepest desires that we share with all individuals is the desire to be happy and to be free of suffering. And our preoccupation, our greatest inner passion is to try to find happiness and peace and the way of happiness and peace. So that's part of our nature is this internal desire to find peace and we pursue it with, a, with great fervor. But the other part of our consciousness is, and maybe even, and even our individual desire for happiness is informed by this, the other part of our consciousness is we recognize day in and day out is relational. We're constantly having to interact with the world. We're both being impacted by what goes on in the world, and if there's ever a time where we recognize the truth that we don't exist independently apart from each other, it's, it's right now. In the, this age of... I, I don't even want to say it. This, these times. You can't get through a day without having your nervous system jangled. And that's, that's, that's before the, the fires. We had a fire today in, in my, my little town. You know, I live in Sausalito, just over the bridge. And there was a fire, and I was actually, by some odd chance, I was right in front of it on the freeway as it's sweeping up the hill. And, you know, I've been, and along with probably all of you, been heartsick, reading story after story about, about loss and, of course, heroism and, and so much good nature and so much generosity of spirit, but so much tragedy right in our backyard. So we're constantly being affected by the world and we're and it's affecting our views and our views are then affecting the world and it's just this relational process that we are engaged in every day so there's nothing in the teachings that point to this this tendency to view the teachings as a as a um, a cutting off from the world a withdrawal from the world and in fact, any kind of withdrawal from the world, any kind of um, value given to seclusion, which is very much um, valued, it's given, it's valued in the context that it liberates, its intention is to liberate our heart from the, from the isolation from the sense of separation, from the obliviousness that comes from being 
caught up in I, me, and mine, just caught up in our own internal drama that prevents us from feeling that relational sense of our place in the family of all beings. So it's never, the seclusion is never just for oneself. It always implies the unleashing of our goodwill and our caring for each other. Anybody that has this notion about Buddhism is just about my own personal enlightenment it just doesn't understand the teachings. So I started to say what I was thinking about during the sitting tonight. There is a, a wonderful Dharma talk that turned on a whole generation of yogis. And it was from the person who I consider the, the um, of all the insight meditation teachers in the Western world, the preeminent Western Dharma teacher, and, and that's Joseph Goldstein. He's peerless in a way. It, again, this is my opinion. But he gave a Dharma talk that, that uh, inspired countless people over the last you know, 35, 40 years. And it was entitled Concepts and Reality. I highly recommend that you either listen to a copy or read a chapter, that, a chapter of his first book called The Experience of Insight that has a chapter called, entitled Concepts and Reality. And in this, he, he mapped out or shaped the teach. He reminded us that the teachings are about moving, moving from our usual conceptual, consensual world of concepts, which are very useful, have a certain function for communication, for, you know, for relationships, etc., for simplifying our, our communication. But moving from this domain of concepts to a recognition of reality, a direct experience of reality. And he used many different examples. One of them, the really the, the point being that there's a difference between concepts and reality. So exa one example, a traditional example, popular example, is the example of the, uh, the Big Dipper. You know that Big Dipper in the sky, that configuration of stars that looks like a scooper, you know, a Big Dipper. And if we look very closely at that idea, the Big Dipper, we realize there's no Big Dipper. There is no Big Dipper. <laughs> Big Dipper is a concept. It teases out those stars from the rest of the vast universe and names it the Big Dipper. And then we all agree that's the Big Dipper. And we look up at the sky. Can you look up at the sky and not see the Big Dipper? So this is our, we see how difficult it is to step beyond our, our concepts and to see that that 
that there is no Big Dipper. In fact, there are no stars and there's no sky. There's just the suchness of that connection. There's, so that sense of the Big Dipper div- separates the world, the sky, into a kind of duality. And when one sees through that Big Dipper, those particular stars start revealing themselves much more connected to everything else. And when you see through, when you see that there is no Big Dipper, do those stars disappear? Of course they don't. They're still there, but they but you experience them beyond the concept. You with me so far? So we have been practicing from beginningless time creating a conceptual framework for reality and then believing that conceptual framework and because of that not able to see in so many ways that we that things are not as separate as they appear there there is that there is no real dividing line between one star and another there is no real dividing line between any of us And one of those concepts, just one example, one of those concepts that has been etched into the consciousness of human beings, one of the ones that is so apparent and, and contentious and painful in our culture is the concept of race. Race is a social construct. There is no absolute division called race. Yet that particular set of concepts adopted consensually has led to and become embedded in our institutions, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our neighborhoods, in every element of our lives. And I may be able to see that there's no Big Dipper, but not everybody sees the difference between concepts and reality. And so our practice has to be not only on our cushion and in our moment-to-moment study of concepts and reality, but it has to also meet the world, the consensual world, the way we find it, which is filled with concepts and separations and others and all of these divisions that create pain in our lives. And so even though we can... we. We have aspirations and we can practice to see through all the illusions of separateness. 
on every level. At the same time, our heart breaks because we, in the midst of our, our pursuit of seeing through the folds of the universe, seeing through reality, in the midst of that, we find ourselves a world in a world in a shared conceptual world where people are really entrenched in certain concepts and don't even have an interest in seeing the difference between concepts and reality. So in the face of that, we have to, we have to say, wake up, wake up, wake up. We have to do our own, our own work, either to both to step back and find our own bearings in a, in a, in a world where, where there is such a collective delusion that separates and isolates things. To sit back and to settle back and find our, our balance and our equanimity, knowing that no matter how much we try, no matter how much we wish things were otherwise, Human beings are deluded. We have within us three common poisons. Every single human grasping greed, and we grasp at opinions, we grasp at ourselves, we grasp at stuff. So greed and hatred, we don't like what we sense as other, and since we're constantly being conditioned to conceptualize beings as other, we, our mind stream is filled with habits of ill will and aversion. And unless, you've, unless you're really awake, you fall into delusion. Every human being falls into delusion in some form or another because we're so conditioned. So for that reason, we, we both do our inner work of, of cultivating what needs to be cultivated, developing what needs to be developed in order to find happiness, inner happiness. Yet we know that that inner happiness cannot exist independently alone because we are so relational. That's what one sees when one sees through the illusion of separateness. So because of that, we, our practice has to be both inner and outer. Has to be seclusion and action. And how one expresses that action, it could be keeping quiet. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean that you have to be a joiner, but somehow at, at least to be, to have a, a complete understanding, it can't just be for oneself. So in that spirit, we created a, a document, a, a commitment statement that would be one, something that we could refer to and refine that would keep reminding ourselves that we not only do we incline toward all the benefits of seclusion and practice of steadying and 
settling back and developing equanimity, practicing wise speech, wise action, wise understanding, but we also uh, incline our mind and our heart, our body toward, um, toward caring about those who need to be cared for, to protect those who need to be protected, to bring justice to those who are, are victims of injustice. And that, that's an equal part of our practice. So I'd like to read this and thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me noodle about this. But this is Mission Dharma's Commitment to Human Rights. That's what we entitled it. Mission Dharma Commitment to Human Rights. Mission Dharma is committed to practicing the Buddha's teachings, not only in the formal practice of meditation, but also by living the Eightfold Path in daily life. We are dedicated to these practices for the purpose of alleviating the suffering of ourselves and others caused by the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. In this spirit, the Board of Mission Dharma and the guiding teacher invite the whole Sangha to dedicate ourselves in maintaining an ethical framework for all of our actions and to live in a way that does not cause harm to any being. We fully recognize that harm is being done to many by deluded and unskillful actions. Through the practices of wise view, wise speech, wise action, wise mindfulness, we seek to stand up in solidarity and support for all people who are oppressed and discriminated against on both the personal and social political levels. Therefore, we affirm the following. We support the end of racism by increasing the awareness of how white privilege and supremacy and systematic racism impacts people of color in this country and in this world. We support religious freedom and people speaking out against religious intolerance, particularly Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. We support all women's rights, including reproductive rights, and the end of sexism in all manifestations. We support LGBTQIA, and for those of you who don't know all those letters, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, sometimes translated as questioning, intersex, asexual, and then some people add plus if you don't fall into any of those categories. We support LGBTQIA rights and the end of homophobia, transphobia, heterosexism by increasing the awareness of prejudice and discrimination faced by the LGBTQIA people. We support and defend immigrant rights and the idea of sanctuary cities. We support disability rights and the end of ableism by increasing the awareness of prejudice and discrimination faced by people with disabilities. 
We support our elders and the end of ageism by increasing the awareness of prejudice and discrimination faced by older people. We support our youth and their rights by increasing awareness of prejudice and discrimination faced by youth, especially youth of color. We support the end of classism and poverty by the right of all to universal health care, to affordable housing, to jobs with a living wage, and to, an, to equitable access to quality education. We believe in human-caused climate change and support environmental justice work, strong environmental laws and protections. We support transparency in government and a free press. The Buddha asks us to practice wise speech, and what could be more wise than our speaking out and supporting those who are working for justice and ending intolerance? We also affirm our practice of taking a step back, creating the space and time for clarity and deeper understanding of our inner wisdom. We aspire to transform anger into skillful action while remaining mindful of our intentions and potential impact. When our wise motivation is skillful, we are more able to abide in equanimity and keep our hearts open to those with different views. We hope the whole spirit we sorry, we hope the whole mission dharma sangha is guided by the four noble truths and the Eightfold Path as a foundation to speak and act with wise, compassionate, and mindful intentions in these adverse times for the good of all beings and Mother Earth. I can't hear you. And there are some copies in the back. And since it is that time, hopefully we will consider coming at this question and this, this commitment in many different directions. This was the direction tonight, but many different ways to talk about this and um, inspire us to, to take it to heart. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for, for um, considering. And whatever uh, action of body, speech, or thoughts, um, thank you, all beings cheer you on for your good-hearted intentions. So thanks for listening. And of course, as always, if there's been any benefit to us being together, uh, let it be offered freely, shared with, with all beings everywhere, and, and emphasize with a, a deep wish that all beings, uh, this is just echoing what was just said, all beings can have happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace, that all beings can have a lessening of suffering and the causes of suffering, that all beings can recognize a, a, a sacred happiness that's without sorrow, to awaken to the, an unshakable peace, and a, a wish that all beings can develop the, the resilience, the equanimity, the serenity to, to meet the inevitable difficulties of our life with, with more balance and a commitment that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated.
May all beings experience justice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.